sweet, man. Well, we're finally getting some cold weather. That's nice. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, what was it this morning? Like 15 below zero out here in know. the Twin I, Cities? I don't really go out in the cold weather because I just go from my house to the heated garage and then in my car <laughs> and then walk in. So The heated garage is on my to-do list this spring. I'm done dealing with that. Um, no, yeah, we got some cold weather finally. I mean, we've had abnormally warm conditions. We've talked about it on the podcast about how warm it's been out there, the slush. We've played in some slush. Last Wednesday, we went live on the Ice Team Facebook page, Drew and myself catching crappies. That was super fun, and we found slush. Yes. That was, I mean, <laughs> there was slush on the lake, but we also ran into our own, you know, slush that we made because we, we drilled out a, you know, a basin area, and there was there was a lot of snow out there. And yeah. We drilled it out. I mean, we didn't, maybe 15 holes, like not that much. Mm-hmm. And we left it, came back. It was like six hours later, and that sucker flooded. Yeah. When you're talking 10 inches, 12 inches of ice with more than that of snow on top of it. And and that was kind of on the middle of the lake. It wasn't like it was 20 yards offshore. That was a quarter mile off the bank uh, or more. I, I don't know exactly. So we came back through that spot, found some stuff. But what I noticed this last weekend, uh, this last weekend, uh, let's see, would have been uh, January 28th, 29th. Uh, everything hardened up. We finally, uh, we had an ice fishing event on the lake. We saw no slush. Here we are midweek, uh, end of January, seeing sub-zero weather. We're going to see sub-zero weather the rest of the week. Things are starting to shape up here in the Twin Cities. So, you know, a lot of people were kind of looking at it as a doom and gloom scenario. I'll tell you what, it's not. Like, ice fishing's here. You know, one thing I've always tried to emphasize in the last several days to anyone I'm talking to is, you know, show the upbeat attitude of ice fishing. You know, it's here. You know, everything you see on social media for the last month has been, oh, man, uh, bad ice, tons of slush. It's tough. Don't go out. Like, I'm telling you right now, it's happening. I mean, we got four full weekends of February coming Absolutely. up still. Like, that's a lot of time if you're taking a wheelhouse out. I mean, there's obviously ice fishing to be had in, throughout March. So, like, there's plenty of time left. Yeah, I would say, uh, you know, consider planning some ice fishing trips the next few weeks. Uh, we're going to have ice into March, like Drew was saying. Uh, if, if you haven't been out ice fishing yet, I, I get it, but get the stuff out. I think I saw a Saturday, Sunday in the Twin Cities. Saturday is like 28 degrees for a high. Yep. Yep. Sunday, Saturday like 30. Yes. So, yeah, I understand if you're here in the Twin Cities area or anywhere in Minnesota, you're looking at the temps the next few days, and you're like, uh, I'm sitting inside. But this weekend, it's going to be nice. I mean, yep. I'll be out Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. I'm excited. So, that's awesome. We're starting to see a bounce back. Hopefully you enjoyed the uh, the Ice Team live feed. I know, Drew, you were saying uh, people want more comments, of that. Yeah. Uh, we had fun. We laughed. We had the game warden come check us. Yeah. Uh, that was not scripted, by the way. I, I saw some comments like, oh, you planned that. I'm looking at you on my kids. That that was 100% not planned. Uh, at first, we, weren't, we thought it was a local just rolling up like, come on. We're out here by ourselves, yeah. 8 o'clock on a Wednesday night middle of a sheet of ice and someone's coming out to, to see what we're doing. Well, it was the game warden. So yeah. good job. I, I give a lot of credit to the DNR. The, um, yep. uh, it's a tireless job. Uh, sometimes you have a target on your back. You know what? Uh, I can appreciate it. Uh, the guy was wonderful, came in, asked some great questions, mm-hmm. did his job, moved on to the next one. That's, that's what they're out there to do. You know, we caught some fish. Drew caught a really nice tulip bee. 
what you guys didn't, if you did watch the show, what you didn't see is Matt caught one beforehand. Yeah. So I'm not the only one who got minus one on the yeah, I caught on that the board there. I caught one about two hours before he went live. And I was like, oh man, and they're all stinky. And Drew was giving me a hard time. And then he caught one on live camera. And, but we caught some really nice crappies. I mean, I think, you know, before we get too long winded on that, I mean, we caught some nice fish in the middle of the day, even. Yeah. Chasing basin crappies. They were. The, I learned a little bit that day on basin crappies because we found some schools that yeah. were just moving so fast. It's like we like we could see them, you know, with some forward-facing sonar, but by the time we got over there and, you know, drilled on them and got down it, like they were gone. Yeah. And then we we kept moving around, and then we eventually found a school that was pretty stagnant, and they were mad. Yeah. And, and I think what we learned was we used the forward-facing sonar to find them. And then at, after a period of time, we had enough holes punched that then we just kind of went around with our vexillars to catch them. Uh, and you could kneel over the fish a little longer. And I saw that happen too. They um, they wanted to be where we caught them good. They wanted to be in that spot. Right. I mean, that's a, I mean, it's a, you know, it's just a hole like where you expect crappies to be, right. but other spots where they're more like open, vast basin, I would say, mm-hmm. or even like drop-offs. Like there is, you go 300 yards and there's no difference in the, in the, depth there right. whereas where we caught him was an actual hole yeah and, so, choking and the it's hard to hole. intercept them like we, if we just sat there and fished those holes yeah we probably would have caught one but it would have been just as you know when they come through that's the only time we catch them yeah that was fun and we we're in deep snow we had fun we caught some fish so no here we go moving on you know we're end of end of january february is like pretty much here time's flying by quick we got a great guest today but we want to chat about um, our, our trap attack tournament go over some stuff there was some incredible fish caught um, we're going to chat with Nate Zielinski here shortly. He's going to join us on this podcast. But we just wrapped up our second annual virtual trap attack. There were some absolutely insane fish costs. Yes. Um, in terms of ice fishing, you can say world class. Oh, 100%. I mean, the just on the leaderboard, what do we have? A 39-and-a-half-inch lake trout, which is a tank. Mm-hmm. There was a 31-inch walleye verified. We'll get yep. to the other walleye here in a minute. <laughs> Uh, what was, how big was that crappie? 18, 18 incher, 18 inch crappie. That is yeah. an absolute horse. That potential we've... state record that got Correct. released too. So that, that's pretty sweet. We found out that was possibly and more than likely the state record in Iowa. I know. And we talked, we're like, man, would you take the state record or the clam <laughs> trap attack plaque? Well, yeah. apparently the clam trap attack plaque and $500 clam cash gift card is what the guy wanted. <laughs> kudos. Kudos to you. That was um, an epic fish. Giant perch. Let me just. I think we had a 11 and a half inch bluegill potentially. That's a dinner plate. Maybe not. Um, I don't have these memorized off the top of my head, even though I looked at them. And, and we had what, over 600 people compete? We had 602 participants. So we hit that 600 mark again, which we, to tell you the truth, last year we had just over 600 as well. It was like 604, 605. And lead, the days leading up, we were kind of nervous because we were just like, I don't know if we're going to get there again. And a lot had to do with the ice conditions. Yeah. Because um, people just don't have ice, especially in like the border states where they might, this might be their only opportunity to compete in any ice fishing yeah. tournament. They just didn't have ice. Yeah. And so the that, ice around here was tough to get around on. So that kind of discouraged people. And that tournament ended nine days ago. Yes. So nine days ago, a lot of the ice belt from, call it uh, Michigan East, didn't have anything. Mm-hmm. So I anticipate if, if they, if that was, uh, happening in that part of the the country, we would have seen a pretty big yep. number. But yeah, anyways, over 200 participants. We had 123 Canadians participate. 
This awesome. is my favorite stat from the whole tournament is we had 24 states represented in the United States from Alaska to, to New York, and we had five different Canadian provinces. So I would, I would say we covered the entire ice belt and beyond. That's the idea. A virtual yep. tournament for Everyone anyone that competed. wants to jump in. Yep. I, I was, I, I verified a lot of the fish catches throughout the weekend, or at least I tried my best to it. There's a lot. I mean, there's a, there's over thousands. There was literally almost, I got the number right here. One second. We had 200, 2,284 fish entrance entried throughout the tournament. So that's a lot to look at, but a lot of the people, you know, they were submitting 22 inch pike, which yeah. I think is awesome. Cause in our tournament, it's kind of a lot of work to enter a fish. You need a photo with the fish, a photo on the bump board, and a release video. Like, it's not easy to do that, especially on the ice. And people were taking pride in entering their fish like that, which says a lot, and they were having fun. So sure, and hats off to everyone who participated. And we did have that one really freakishly big walleye. Yeah, uh, day one, it was a th- – I look at the leaderboard, and oftentimes there are people who accidentally mistype something or forget to put a decimal in, and it'll be like, you know, 800-inch bluegill. Well – and you know, those always stick out at the top of the leaderboard, and we have to go in and correct it. Well, this one was a 32-inch walleye. And I'm like, there's no way. Like, we didn't even hit 30 last year. Like, obviously, they exist. Right. But, like, you still question it. And I looked at it, and I was like, holy smokes, that is a 32-inch walleye. Yeah. All day. But with how our tournament uh, works is you need a release video. And we do the release video, so then we understand the people let the fish go. And you don't re-catch the fish. And it really promotes catch and right. release. Same fish isn't being recorded twice. And exactly. And he was missing his release video, and we just couldn't we couldn't verify it. But he had the fish hold and the bump board. He had the so fish hold. It was a 32-inch wall. And All if you day. see the picture, wow. Like, how many pounds Super do you tanker. think that is? Like, 13? 13 pounds. Plus? And it was thick. It wasn't like, that thing was an absolute moose. I it wasn't a Winnipeg. You get your hand around the tail. It was a beast. I I don't know where he's fishing, but if I had to guess, I'd say Great Lakes somewhere. Yeah, Great Lakes beast, thirteen pound fish, beautiful fish, awesome fish, monster, super cool. So Trap Attack uh, drew a good job, man. You're the tournament director for that. I know it's a lot of work. You were texting back and forth. I was guiding that weekend, and you were texting me. I know you were literally on it all day, two days in a Most row. Addy helped out a lot too. Yeah. You can't take all the credit. Yeah, cause. just taking looking at things we had. Um, fish verifications and questions that popped up and service issues for some folks that were in different yep. parts of the the region that when they get back home. The thing about Fish Donkey that's neat that I think people maybe don't know, and you educated me on this, is, okay, you take your picture, you take your video. This might be um, future reference or if you're going to do one of these digital tournaments, right? Mm-hmm. Just because it doesn't necessarily upload that second doesn't mean when you get back to Wi-Fi, most of the time, it, it will upload oh, at it that will. point. I, I've done a few fish donkey tournaments. The one where I had bad service was the sturgeon one. On, and I was on the Rainy River. And where Makes we sense. were fishing, we had literally zero bars of service. So, you know, I, we, I entered, let's say, five fish during the day. Well, all those fish got recorded locally on my phone in the digital, digital live well. They call it fish donkey. And what happens is when I get back into service, the app will automatically upload all those fish catches and all the media. So the release video, the photos, uh, the length and everything right to the app. And that's what, that's when your, your data gets submitted to the app and everyone knows that you hopefully took over the leaderboard. Yeah. That is sweet. So it's not a, I mean, anyone can fish it. It's awesome. Hats off to the fish donkey, Bonnie and Darren. They're awesome. I had to call them the morning of, cause I was like, you guys got to increase the bandwidth. Like, 
I can't load pictures right now. And Darren's like, we're, we're on it right now. We got it. We already, we increased it once, but we'll do it again. Like yeah. you guys are sweet. They are easy and, and fun to work with. They do a really good job. Fish yeah. donkey, nice work. Awesome. So that was a success. Well, I guess we jump into, should we call Nate? We got Nate, Nate. Zielinski jumping on here in a minute. He's uh, out of, out of Colorado, been a part of the ice team for many years, accomplished guide uh, on the fishing side, accomplished guide on the hunting side, runs an amazing tournament circuit. We'll get him on here and chat with him here any second, but super excited to get him on, on tons of charisma. Dude's got more energy than you can imagine. Denver, Colorado. Is that yeah. where he lives? Denver? Oh, he's outside outside Somewhere. Denver, yeah. Okay, here we go. We had five people from Colorado on the trip attack, by the way. Nice. And Nate usually is ice fishing by October. Hello. Hey, Nate. We got you, uh, we got you on? We're on. Awesome, man. I just uh, gave you the most... Uh, amazing uh starstruck uh, uh introduction ever um oh, man i like that uh, talked about your uh prowess in the guide world on the fishing and the hunting side your your tournament circuit didn't really jump into that at all just mentioned that you do run an amazing tournament circuit out there in the mountain states um really brief introduction but hey everybody with nate Zielinski joining us here out of colorado we want to been an ice team pro like i mentioned for quite a while the guy's been all over the place just exudes charisma, man, dude, your personality is awesome. I know anyone that gets to hang out with you, um, loves it and wants you back. You've made many trips out to the St. Paul ice fishing and winter sports show on the seminar stage to hang out every year. Uh, you're probably no stranger to a lot of our, our listeners, but Hey man, welcome aboard. I appreciate you having me. Cool. So what are you doing right now? I mean, you're out there. I know you just probably finished another, uh, uh, big tournament. You want to talk about what you got cooking and what's going on out in the mountain States for you personally? Absolutely, man. We got so much stuff going on. It's kind of that combination of uh, of winter sports, you know. So we have basically an event every weekend. Uh, so a large ice fishing tournament pretty much every weekend. Uh, I jump in the truck basically tomorrow and head back to Utah for another event. But I am at home here in Denver. Uh, so yeah, so so big events every single weekend. So we have our our what's called ice addiction uh which is like our public tournaments you know uh, a small event will be 700 people a big event will be over a thousand people uh, and we kind of rotate them around so we'll never have an event basically within three four hours of each other so we kind of have a different region so a couple events in colorado a couple events in utah um so all our gear is staged in utah right now from the event we had last weekend uh we head back uh tomorrow to get prepped for the next weekend uh so excited about that then we host some massive corporate tournaments kind of in between the public events um it's like a like a team building event you can call it but we get two three hundred employees from corporations we take them ice fishing um and it is so fun but i'll tell you what people look at our public events and they're like oh man this is crazy how do you do it and um it's nothing compared to our private events I, i tell people you haven't lived until you've rigged up 300 rods for, <laughs> yep. for a day of guiding 300 people. Like, you know, it's, it's a 14 hour job tying 300 knots, you know what I mean? Yeah. So uh, doing that and then, uh, yeah, writing TV uh, and a lot of guiding in between all of those. So living, I, living the winter dream. I have a question, Nate. So I, I've never ice fished in Colorado. Um, how many bodies of water are available to ice fish? I guess just like within the Denver area, within the whole state, like like what are we looking at? A couple a couple lakes or? You know, we have a lot of water. Everything is frozen right now, so we have a, a really good winter, but it's really kind of complex. So, okay. um, I mean, we have hundreds of bodies of water that we can ice fish, so, so it's cool in those regards. But the elevation change, so you look at like eastern Colorado, it'll have an elevation of like 5,000 feet. 
And then our tallest peak is like 14,200 something. So we have a, a wide range of elevation and therefore get various ice because of that. So like uh, what we call the front range, like the Denver area, we typically get on the ice down there and that's going to be our walleye, our bass, our panfish, all those types of species mixed in with some trout. But those bodies of water will get ice around like the you know, Christmas time, mid-December, we'll call it later December. And then we can usually stay on the ice in the front range until right around March 1st. Um, and then it dissipates fast and we're on our boats, you know, second week of March in an average year. Um, the high country is totally different. Depending on how extreme you want to get, um, I mean, I could walk on ice and ice fish October 1st, if I'm willing to go up to that 12, 13, 14,000 feet. And those bodies of water will stay ice until mid-June. Um, so I can get on the ice in October, and I can stay on the ice until June if I go to elevation. So it's pretty crazy what we have here. It, it's unique. It's fun. Um, you just got to decide uh, which advantages you want to take a part of. You know what I mean? Are those high country lakes, are those more trout-specific or other game species? Yeah, yeah, most of the high country. So I would say our average mountain fishery is going to be in that like eight to 10,000 elevation range. And we're going to have all the trout species. We're going to have a big population of rainbow trout. We're going to have a big population of cut bows. And that's probably our most predominant species. So it's actually a, a kind of a mixture hybrid between a cutthroat and a rainbow. Yeah, uh, yeah. By putting those two together, yeah, they fight hard. They grow bigger. Um, everything about them is a, a stronger, you know, species. So we get a ton of cut bows. We get browns. We get giant lake trout. We get a ton of pike. Um, we get kokanee sandwich, like a landlocked sockeye, um, and then, you know, a variety of other smaller species. But I'd say those are predominant in, in most of that. Sweet. And then when you go extremely high, uh, you're going to be dealing with rainbows, but more of a, a pure string. You're going to be dealing with brook trout uh, and then kind of some of the char species. That's mm. awesome. When I, when I, one more question, Matt. Yeah, fire <laughs> so, away, dude. When I think of, uh, like, Western fishing, I think of a lot of fly fishermen, you know, open water wading yep. around. Are, are, they, are these the same guys who are ice fishing, or is it a completely different crowd? Uh, a small population, I would say, of the, the fly guys will cross over to ice. But I would say it's a totally different population. So our tail waters don't freeze. Our rivers stay up. So our fly, you know, anglers stay pretty active oh, in good. the winter yep, with their fly rods. Um, but, yeah, the, the ice anglers are totally different. We're putting up some serious numbers. I actually talked to the, the DNR agency called the CPW here. And we're seeing this year so far, uh, we're at about a 26% growth this year. And we're going on about a seven-year streak of 25 to 27% growth in the ice industry. So it, it's awesome. It is like a just a blowing up sport out west here. Very cool. Man, hats off to you, Nate. I know you're a big reason for a lot of that success. Now, speaking of fishing, I mean, you're running all over the place literally, right? What, what, do you, what, are you, what are you fishing for when Nate gets to go? I mean, it sounds like you got the cornucopia out there of choices so if you got a weekend to go kill, which I'm guessing doesn't exist, but let's just talk, pretend it does, what are you going after? Like, what is your thing out there that gets you going with the options that exist? Absolutely. You know, I would say I, I deep down in my soul, I just want a walleye fish, but yeah. it doesn't happen. Sure. Um, you know, we're guiding walleye, all that kind of stuff. Um, so I would say I split my time between lake trout and pike. Um, I had two young kids, I like got nine-year-old twins, and they think tip-up fishing for pike is about the coolest <laughs> thing in the world. 
Um, so if I have a day off with the kids, we're pike fishing just because they can do it by themselves. They, they love running around. So, so chasing pike on tip ups, um, is awesome. We get some like freakishly big pike. We get kind of the, the California bass disorder on our pike. Um, you know, our pike are feeding almost exclusively on rainbow trout. So their food source is eight to 12 inches long, high protein, super oil. So we can get a pike that'll weigh 30 pounds at like a 44 to 45 inch fish. So we get some like insanely big pike that are just like robust and, and fat. So the pike fishing is really cool. Um, but if I have my, my choice of things and what I probably do the most is chasing big lake trout um, in a very specific situation. In almost all of our fisheries, we get a, a laker bite that is an extremely shallow water sight fishing. And it's these lakers that are up shallow feeding on rainbows. So I could go out on any given day and I can target lakers in two to five feet of water where I'm sight fishing. Um, you know, we're doing, you know, 36 to 40 inch lakers and watching these fish come in like a killer whale and take a bait. Um, it is unbelievable. It, it's hard to describe. A 40 inch lake trout in two to five feet sight fishing would I don't. I can't imagine what that looks like. <laughs> okay, more people mess it up than they do good because you tell them like you're guiding. You're like, hey, it's gonna shock you. Like, don't take it away from them. Don't panic. And everyone's like, oh yeah, yeah. And I'm like, no, I'm serious. And when they come in, you know, like from tip to tip on their pec fins will be like 14, 15 inches. And I mean, you could run a one ounce jig on like a big tube. And they move so much water when they're coming in that half the time they get in their own way. And like you're holding your rod still and they're dispersing so much water chasing after it. They're moving the jig themselves. Um, it, it's insane. Jeez. I mean, there's water coming through your hole half the time. Like killer whales. <laughs> Man. So exactly. you, you hook one of these freaks in four feet of water on a one ounce jig in a tube. Man, that's got to be a freight train. Once Hold it, on. I mean, that thing's got to just tear. It, it, it's ridiculous. I mean, you know, your your line is bent over. It's going down the hole, twisting from the hole, and their defenses is retreat to deeper water. Um, you know, so almost all Lakers will do three major runs. They burp about every ten feet of water they drop in in, in distance. So you know, they'll burn out. To, you're sitting on the edges of deep water. You know, in three four feet of water, and so they'll burn out to sixty seventy feet and doing these massive, you know, hundred foot two hundred foot runs to where you're just hanging on for dear life. And, you know, you're trying to like, you know, do I stick the rod in the hole? Do I keep it up here? You know, what are we going to do? How big is this fish? And, and yeah, just trying to, trying to make some decisions. What do you, what kind of line do you use for that? Cause I imagine you're burning on the, the bottom of the ice, like nonstop, right? You, you are. So it's kind of a, a tough combination. I'd say in most situations, I'm running like a 12 pound floral, um, simply cause I want the straightness wow. of the line. If you get a lot of coils, those Lakers will see the coils. So they won't really say, see the clarity of the line, like seeing a mono versus a, a floral, but they see the coil. So you try to have a stiffer line. Um, and 12 pounds seems to be that kind of combination where heavy enough to get the job done in most situations, yeah. um, but light enough to, to still get great action. Your whole, like from the from um, your spool all the way down to the hook, you got 12 pound floral? Straight, yep. We, we don't run wow. any, any super lines. We're running straight floral and, and larger spools yeah. uh, to be able to accommodate, you know, big, big runs. Dang. What's cool. your what's your biggest lake trout through the ice, Nate? You know, I, I guided a forty six pounder last year. I guided a forty four pounder the year before it, so I've guided a lot of forties. My biggest is probably gonna be that that thirty eight. 
you know, so it's like a 42 inch fish. Um, you know, it's looking like 30 round, 28 round, stuff like that. <laughs> well, Nate, did you fish in the trap attack a couple weekends ago? I did. I did not. Yeah. I, you yeah. probably didn't cause you knew you'd win, right? Because it took thirty nine and a half to win the Laker division. Interest, yeah. Oh, we get we get some big big dry Lakers. Yeah, getting getting forties is not an issue out here. Forty six pound lake trout. That is, and I can tell you. So in Colorado, we're limited to a ten inch hole. You know, so if you kind of bore, kind of sloppy, you know, you can get ten and a half out of that hole. and I can tell you that those Lakers, depending on length versus girth, because, you know, all our fisheries are built different. Some of our fish will be longer, some will be shorter. Um, but on the, you know, the most of the 40-pound fish that I've seen, it is an absolute chore getting them through that 10-inch hole. So usually you're dropping down your knees, dropping the hand in, you know, sliding your hand in their gill plate, you're being super cautious of their gills, but you almost always have to take your other hand and close their mouth because they're going to, when you pull that gill plate, they're going to want to throw their mouth open and they won't fit on that little fat section right behind their head. So you have to go in with two hands, close their mouth shut, and then slide them out. And I mean, it's like slipping through, like you're, you're pulling them through that hole. They're so big. Wow. My gosh. We don't even use 10 inch holes <laughs> over like here. Uh, I, I mean, I've always thought if it doesn't fit through an eight inch hole, it doesn't exist in our lakes. I, like I can't <laughs> imagine, like, I mean, even a muskie, we've had 48 inch muskies come through eight inch holes, but you're right. The girth and, and the stature of those lake trout are just what? built different. Can you drill? It's just built different. That's it. They, yeah. They get tight on those eights. Yeah. Can you, you definitely can find Can you do the thing too. where you drill two holes or three holes right next to each other to make a big one? Or is that not cool? And not uh, legal. Not, not legal. legal. Yeah, okay. We're in the bed So they'll, they'll let you give you a leeway, a little quarter inch here and there yeah. with belt. Uh, yeah. Wow. That's about it. Wow. Yeah, I know like when we went do the Lake of the Woods thing, like I'll, we'll have a 10 inch auger, hundred percent for, for uh Northern Pike that is. Yeah. Because yep. you are fighting a giant, like you, you would, I'd rather have that extra you know, inch or two inches than an eight inch auger. Yeah. When you're talking giant fish like that, but I mean, that's it. And you know, it's nice because the, the pike more don't want to turn. So you, it's nice to have the 10 on the pike because they just don't want to turn themselves. The Lakers have no problem turning in a vertical manner, but again, it's just when they open their mouth, I mean, they, they just fill it up. They're, yeah. they're just a bigger yeah. fish. Big jaws. It, uh, funny story we all know you know doug stang you've been fisherman yep. we did uh, our first shallow water ice show and i was like how shallow do you want to be and he's like i want the experience i want to go shallow so we set up in like 18 inches of water two feet of water um and i hooked my first fish and you know it's like flopping at the hole you know i mean the tail's out the head's out like and, you know, he's like, what do I do? And we, you know, the, the fish kind of got its legs, got down, took a couple of big runs. Um, and he got done with that first fish. And he's like, this is almost awkward. He goes, it doesn't make good TV. He's like, we got to step out to like five foot. He's like, this is too much. Like there's too much happening. So we stepped out and did the show in like five foot of water to where it wasn't quite so much chaos. <laughs> Two feet of water. They're just like yeah. flounders coming in out there, down there on their sides. I mean, their goal is to pin the rainbows up. You know, the rainbows will swim up to about a foot of water, you know, between ice and land, and then the rainbows will turn and panic and come back out. So that's just how they hunt. They they just push their food into that shallow water until the you know food panics. When the food panics, it runs right to them. Wow. Um, so, so, so it's rainbow, very much a hunt. So rainbows are the main forage for all these big predator fish. Like you said, yep, right? Yep. I mean, That's in spring crazy. when the suckers go into spawn, you'll get a little bit of a forage base on the suckers, but I'd say, you know, 90% of the time it's going to be going to be rainbows. The rainbows are all natural producing too? We get both. We get natural fish and our stocked fish. So, okay. so every fish is going to have both. So all of them are, you know, almost 
99% of our bodies of water are going to be reservoirs. Um, you know, so rivers coming in man-made. So we're going to get our natural fish spawning in those rivers as well as a heavy stocked population. And obviously cool. the, the oxygen is phenomenal for those fish to be shallow like that in the middle of winter. So you're, you know, you're, you're the, the kind of lakes that you have, I'm guessing in your area are just oxygen rich, clean, pristine fisheries, right? You're not getting much dirty stain water at all. No, I mean, honestly, it's so funny because I, I talk to buddies across the country and, you know, they're chasing visibility and they're like, oh, we had a hard day, just fish couldn't see. And I'm like, man, what I wouldn't do for a little stained water. Like <laughs> when we're dealing with 40, 50 year old fish and, you know, I can see my tube in 20 feet of water, 25 feet of water. Um, like it is so gin clear that that becomes more of the issue is trying to get these fish to, to take a bait. And that's why the shallow water bite helps you because once you get them into that, you know, two, three, four feet of water, they're in hunt mode. So they're there to kill it. When you're doing a deeper water presentation, so you're sitting on a piece of structure, a hump, and you're in 15, 20 feet of water, those lakers have time to look at it. And that's where that gin clear water um, becomes an issue just because they can look and look and look and, and make a decision. That's where that shallow water, you kick in that reaction and, and you know, you, they take it. I'm not going to lie. If I came out with you, I'd want to be in two to five feet. That just sounds like bucket list, epic trip type stuff. I've caught lake trout in deep water and lake trout as deep as 80 feet, hundred feet of water in the, you know, the Gunflint trail area, Minnesota, Uh, but catching something of that stature in four feet just is extremely intriguing to me. Just to it, see it's how it would be. There's like nothing on it. I mean, yeah, it's, it's crazy. So and to watch them hunt and you know, watch their giant fins. That's the first thing you'll always notice is just those giant peck fins, you know, as big as your hand, and watching them trying to turn on a dime to come back if they miss it. And, you know, most people take the bait away from them. That big fish comes in and throws its mouth open, and people just don't know what to do. So, you know, they just rip it away from them. And I'm like, get it back down there, you know? And yeah. you're so shallow when you set the hook, your tube will come out of the water you know, your big bait. So I'm like, get it back in there, you know, and just watching those monsters hunt it down. It's are you, fun. are you sight fishing when you're that shallow? Yep. So, so we're inside the shelters uh, and we drill a vertical hole. So you drill your hole, you're fishing in and then yep. we drill an angle hole. So you're not bent over. So gotcha. you drill that angle hole, so yep, you can yep. sit up, actually get a good hook set. Um, yeah. So, but yeah, sight fishing on everything. They, when they come in, like I said, if for whatever reason they miss it, when they turn, they throw that tail so hard to spin that it'll move your bait 10, 12, 15 inches. Um, so if you're not sight fishing, they're hard to hook because you feel so much stuff and you can't tell the difference of what's the fish versus what's movement. Um, so sight fish is about the only way to do it in that shallow just because they disperse so much water when they come in. Sure. What are you using to catch them? So I know you mentioned tube. Is that your preferred bait and how big of a tube? Well, honestly, it's a big bait. I mean, you know, we're I'm running almost all spinning reels um, just because my anglers tend to have a better stroke with that. You know, so we're running like, again, split grip, 40-inch heavy or even the max. 45 extra heavy if our bait's too big um but honestly that that 40 heavy uh split is probably the ultimate rod and like i said that 12 pound fluoro as far as bait um wide range of tubes so i'd say everything a, a small bait would be a bulked up like really fat five inch tube uh all the way up to 10 inch tubes we run a lot of like finesse minnows um i mean we run a lot of logos honestly you're trying to represent that forage base of that eight to 12 inch rainbow so just a big bait i mean i run a lot of saltwater teasers a lot of saltwater squids 
Um, I mean, as long as it's just a very big profile bait. And honestly, we fluctuate around so much with baits because if our fish have seen it and been pressured by it, they won't take it again. So, um, I mean, I bring out a lot of gear and it's just, if a fish comes in one time and doesn't take it, that bait's done um, and you move it around. So the, the name of the game is something they haven't seen and something big um and not to take you know credit from the fish it's not like you're you know i'm not calling them dumb but honestly you know so many guys get really into their presentations and they're so flawless i mean this is like you just need a big meal um and you need to move it around and and you're going to be golden yeah that makes sense so in terms of like regulations out there i mean are anglers keeping fish what are some of the regs i mean i I assume at least from my perspective, a, a late of that capacity just has to go back, right? So what what is the kind of um, feeling out there on regulations, um, fish catching, fish fries, things like that? Absolutely. So it, it's kind of kind of funky. Um, every body of water is going to have a very wide range. So we have like a state regulation, and then you have individual bodies of water having the regulations from all the trees. If I look at like the five, six lake trout fisheries that I'm targeting, every one has a different regulation as far as size and limits and that kind of thing. Um, and, and it's tough. And I say this is where so much of the angler education and angler knowledge comes into play. So our DNR agency, our CPW, they manage majority of the state for rainbows. It is, you know, our sales of fishing licenses determine what species they manage for. Uh, statewide, more anglers target rainbows than anything, so that's how we manage our fisheries. So the the big lake trout, the big pike, are looked upon as that predator species that needs to be reduced drastically. Um, so, I mean, I would say a handful of our fisheries even go through processes of getting netted and or shocked um, at certain times of the year to remove some of these predator fish. So from a state agency standard, they want the bigger fish gone. Um, so almost every fishery, you can keep these big fish. Um, some of these fisheries will even go through phases of saying unlimited on big fish. Um, mm. One of our, our biggest producers in the state was Blue Mesa. A couple of years ago, they needed to do a massive coal on some of these big fish. So it was unlimited. So you could go out like, you got into a good bite. Guys were literally keeping 15 and 20, you know, 30 to 50 year old fish. Um, now that's been reduced to only one big fish, so like one fish over 32 inches in that fishery because they kind of got their numbers where they want them. Um, but regardless, state regulations are pushing more for the removal of these big fish. Um, for oh. pike example, pretty much statewide, other than maybe two fisheries, uh, pike are unlimited. So you can literally, if you had a, a hot tip up bite, you know, as that pre-spawn comes in March, you could keep 40 pike over 40 if you wanted to in a day. Um, luckily, the anglers that have the talent to do so um, kind of recognize that and recognize it more as a sport fish. So a lot of these big fish are getting put back, which is awesome. Um, but yeah, state regulations, it, it's managed more on the, the rainbow fisheries, wow. more so than it is the predator fisheries. That's that's different. Yeah, <laughs> It's great. We, it's great. <laughs> that's the same thing they preach out at Cascade, too, I know, on the perch. Um, we were out there last year and we were talking to some of the local guides and stuff and they're like, yeah, we know the DNR, they want you to take out the big fish to make room for the, the medium sized perch, which yep. around our neck of the woods, it's completely opposite. Yeah, big fish are sacred and trophy yep. and they got to go back and, and there's regulations. So, you know, only X amount of fish over so many inches or whatever. And we're even doing a lot of panfish regulations on our lakes here where you can only keep like five bluegills on a certain yep. body of water. And oh, that is interesting for sure. I mean, you know, 
multiple 40 inch pike just going home for dinner. I just, I can't fathom that, but I get it. I mean, our pike, they've made it a rough fish in so many fisheries to where like, again, I don't want to, you know, talk ill of any parties or things like this, but certain anglers that are really hardcore trout fishermen, um, I mean, they can legally kill a pike and throw it in a dumpster. Um, because they, 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 you know, quoted and or titled pike, um, a rough fish in certain fisheries. So there's certain fisheries where you can literally whack a pike on the head and let it float. And, and it's looked upon as an okay thing to do. Oh. Uh, again, luckily there's a lot of education floating around the angling community to where, you know, just the concepts of, Hey, even if you're anti then take them home, use them, you know, that kind of thing. So there's a lot of, a lot of good work getting done by, by anglers. And again, the, the Colorado parks and wildlife, you know, they do a great job on all of this stuff. It's just one of those things that, you know, managing point, we are more of a, you know, one to two species managers, you know, side. Um, and they have to go by what the majority rule is yeah. on what they're wanting. So, you know, there, there's a lot to it. Um, on all sides of, of the spectrum of how you look at it. So would you say the trout uh, fly fishing scene's a lot bigger than the ice fishing out in Colorado? I would say that, I mean, in general, it, it's very regionalized. The amount of yep. walleye fishing that we have out of Denver okay. is like crazy. So the walleye scene mm-hmm. has blown up. Um, and we have some incredible fishing. I mean, our bodies of water are tiny. Uh, the amount of walleye waters we have is small compared to, you know, graphically regionally. Um, but we have some tremendous fishing. So like the front range walleye anglers, those numbers are extremely strong. Then obviously the fly anglers in the rivers are extremely strong. But then, you know, our reservoir stuff is more the conventional tackle side. So I would say it's hard to really, you know, say which angling style or group. Um, is stronger because it's so regionalized and where you're fishing. So you mentioned walleye fishing and it's strong. Maybe you uh, explain what that means. Are you talking big fish, numbers of fish, excessive ease of catching? Like what, what do you expect? You know, obviously you're doing it a lot. Uh, you're definitely on the expert level of things in that region, but what can somebody expect if they're out there doing the walleye thing? You know, our walleye bite is like incredible. So we really, as far as a state, started to put a lot of emphasis on walleye uh, in like the early 80s. Um, With that being said, it has absolutely just blown up um, on those spectrums. Now, with that, we get a lot of state help on our walleye population. So we have a very pure strain of walleyes uh, in our reservoirs. Obviously, you know, major influx of water coming in. So our waters are super healthy um, and our bait fish populations are like through the roof. So most of our fisheries have a gizzard shad population. That's our main forage base. But with the high oxygen rate, you know, the fact that we get ice, but it's not long, our summer seasons, our water never gets too warm uh, just because the river's coming in. So it kind of makes this like ideal growth season um, on all spectrum. So we have a natural breeding population of walleyes that run up our river um, and have a successful spawn. Another huge portion of our walleye spawns on like our dam faces, our riprap areas. Those fish won't have a successful spawn by themselves due to lack of water flow. So our DNR agency actually has a netting program. They net three bodies of water. So two in Denver, one in Southern Colorado. Um, and they net these fisheries, collect the, the walleyes, do their own breeding process, um, and then restock all of Colorado. And then we actually trade walleye. So it's our biggest entity uh, in form of trade in the wildlife. So we trade for tiger musky. We trade for pheasants. We trade for turkeys. Uh, we trade for hybrid, you know, white bass striper called a wiper. Um, so we actually have this in 
insane walleye spawn program going on. Uh, so it's pretty cool. But I mean, our state record is 18 pounds, 13 ounces. Uh, biggest fish I boated open water last year was just over 16 pounds. Um, so we have massive fish. With that being said, I would say the average angler um, is predominantly seeing like 15 to 20 inch fish. Um, our bigger fish are so well fed, I would say it's somewhat of a chore to get those fish to take the bait. The population of big fish is there, um, but more just the, the education on those fish, the food source on those fish makes them, I'd say, tougher than other places that we fish around the country to target those big fish. Um, our big fish, I would say, are suspended. Uh, probably 10 months out of the year. Um, so it's a bigger suspended fish on those roaming bait fish population. So it, it takes a little more skill and again, you know, overcoming the abundance of food sort to target those big fish, but we get a lot of fish. Um, I mean, on ice right now, I would say my average guide trip, you know, if I take two, three guys out on a walleye trip, we're targeting these fish first and last light. Um, we don't have the midday bite that a lot of places in the country get. So our fish, we're starting to catch our fish at 5 a.m. And I'd say by 8 a.m. that bite's pretty much done. Our afternoon bite, I'm getting on the ice at 2.33, but really our bite is like 4 p.m. to 6.30 p.m. Um, so fairly narrow windows. But an average day on the ice, I'm probably putting 20 walleyes on the ice. And I'd say the average, you know, trip out in those three, four hours, um, you know, our fish are, again, are, are 18, you know, 17 to 19 inches, probably on average, a lot of 17 inch fish, a lot of that, like adult male, um, and then a few of those, you know, sub, sub adult females. 16 pound walleye. That's <laughs> insane. Like how long is that fish? 33 inches. So like, when you start getting to those 16, most of those fish are going to be 32 and a half to 33 and a quarter. Uh, and those fish will be, you know, 16 to 17 round, 16, 18 round. Well, wow. Nate, it sounds like you need to be in the trap attack next year <laughs> and just run show on the walleye and lake trout division. We're holding it to you now. Oh, geez. I tell you, that's a, my guys and I keep talking. We've been guiding every day and running these events. We, we never fun fish. I mean, if I ice fish again a couple times a year, it's just we're just so busy in the, in the industry. But yeah. we, uh, we have a tip-up bite with live suckers on the front range uh, for giant walleyes that is insane. Uh, we get out to do it every couple of years. And right now we're kind of in a low water year. Uh, our walleyes just moved into some weeds feeding on, on those shad, and they're feeding on young crappie and bluegills as well. Um, there's a tip-up bite waiting for me right now that I am hoping I have time to go take advantage of because it's going to be pretty insane. Sounds like Colorado is a lot more diverse than I expected as far as the ice fishing scene goes. I was I I mean, mean, we, going into this conversation. We have large mouth, small mouth. Yeah, we, we have everything. Again, we just don't have the amount of water. That's probably the biggest yeah. thing people from the Midwest come is, you know, I'm driving an hour here, two hours there. You know, it, it's very widespread, but the amount of water we have is limited, but the quality is, is through the roof. So what else are you catching, let's say, some of the more popular Midwestern species like bluegills and crappies and perch, and, and, and what do those look like? Are they gargantuan size as well in Colorado? Or I would say it is five times easier for me to go catch a 40-inch laker than it is a 14-inch crappie. Call it, call it a 12-inch crappie. We'll yeah. say that. Yeah. Our panfish is very limited. So, you know, our front range has good panfish. 
A couple of our mountain fishers way on the western slope of Colorado have some good panfish, um, but that is our biggest lacking point. You know, all the, the bluegills, the crappies, the perch, um, they are more limited. Um, I mean, we have them. I can't, shouldn't say you don't. Um, I can go out. We can have some good days more on perch than, than the crappie thing, um, but by far, that is our, our limited resource, um, sure. without a doubt. So we can have it, but you're going to put a lot more energy into the panfish than you would any other species by far. Uh, not to change topics, Nate, but I have a question for you. What do you like yep. more, ice fishing or hunting? I get that question all the time. So <laughs> here is the honest answer. In my hunting life, I am a digital content provider. So I go out and I film hunts and more so I film all this education on hunting and I deliver it to brands and then they use that content for everything. So I don't have a social media presence. I just film the content. I give it to the brand and then they utilize it in, in a million different ways. So my hunting life is me and a cameraman. So when things go wrong, it's no big deal. Like I didn't get one that day. Nobody knows. I can go again and try tomorrow. My public or my fishing life is very public. It's events, it's ice fishing schools, it's guiding, it's TV, it's radio. Um, so in those regards, I feel there's a lot more pressure uh, in the ice fishing world simply for the fact that everybody is watching every two seconds. So I probably would say that I split the love equally between the two. Uh, the hunting is a lot less pressure. So we'll, we'll put it that way. Sure. I was telling Drew a bit about, I mean, I know a little bit about your hunting background. I mean, Obviously, I'm good friends with Josh Roundsley. You still and Thorn Brothers. I know you guys are buddies. He's gone out to you. Yeah. And you guys have hunted a bunch of times together, and he's told me stories. You got some pretty, just like you mentioned on the fishing side, you got some pretty exotic hunting opportunities in the mountains. I know you've talked about dressing up in all white and laying in snow for hours for the perfect shot. You know, maybe our listeners, we get, we've learned we have a pretty diverse group of listeners, but there's also a very strong connection between fishing and hunting. Uh, maybe you want to talk a little bit about the hunting side of things in Colorado and some things you're doing with that. Absolutely. I mean, I mean, same type thing. It's, it's fun. And Colorado is so unique for the, the opportunity of the animals that we get to hunt, but more so the opportunity. And that's where like our DNR agency, the CPW is doing such a great job because there's certain states where, you know, you wait years and years to, to get a tag to like hunt elk. Um, you know, and I was talking to a buddy in Wisconsin uh, that he just drew like his bobcat permit, took him years. And then, you know, same thing, bears, you know, super limited and, you know, they wait so long. That's where here in Colorado, you know, you might wait years and years if you want like the ultimate tag. But if you just want to get out and hunt, I can hunt, you know, the normal species, elk, mule deer, pronghorn, bears, lions. Um I can hunt these animals every single year and I have so much opportunity for it. So uh, as long as you put in effort through scouting and you're willing to take maybe a, a less wanted tag, um, you can hunt every year. And that's where it's so neat. And I mean, like where I live in the town of Conifer, you know, 45 minutes southwest of Denver, I mean, I can be at the convention center in 45 minutes and I can walk out my back door, get into public land and hunt and I can hunt elk. I can hunt deer. I can hunt unlimited bears. So, I mean, I could literally, if I bought 30 tags, I can hunt 30 bears in a season. Um, so a lot of cool opportunities and, you know, the predator hunting, we do a lot of mountain lion hunting that always leads great stories and you know some crazy times so a lot of cool stuff you know our moose population is growing our sheep population strong our mountain goats are strong um so yeah we i take advantage of, of everything and kind of my my world in the in the hunting side 
is taking a normal tag, which we just talked about. So all I do is I, you know, produce content on, hey, don't put yourself in that class of needed a guide and hunt. Don't put yourself of needing private land. Don't use the excuse like I'm not. I don't have availability because I don't have money. So my whole thing is taking an average tag, you know, something that you can get every year, learning how to scout, learning animal behavior, becoming a, a better hunter with your abilities and creating success every year. So that's kind of my world is just, hey, take an opportunity. Let's learn how to overcome all the obstacles, all the failures, and, and turn them into success stories on on great animals. That, uh, so so it's, it's fun. That's awesome. So you mentioned normal or average tags and – so what is non-normal? Like, what are what are the exotic uh, next level opportunities other than, you know, you talked about the muleys and the elk and the moose and, you know, maybe some uh, bear hunts. Like, so what are other things that you would consider, let's say you have the funds, you have the resources, you want to go that extra mile, literally or metaphorically, what exists there then? Yeah, yeah. so, I mean, the hardest tags you get in the state uh, are going to be moose, uh, mountain goat and bighorn sheep. And those are the tags that they're just more limited availability. So, you know, you only have so many tags and you have so many hunters putting in for them. So, you know, for example, I, I am a lifelong hunter. I'm 40 years old and I've hunted bighorn sheep and I've never had a tag for anything else. Um, it just because of luck of the draw. So I've hunted one of like the really exclusive animals. Then you look at my wife, you know, four years younger than me, um, started at a young age and just due to a, a good luck status of getting tags, uh, she's harvested moose, she's harvested <laughs> her sheep, she's harvested her goat, um, she's got them all. So, so it's just one of those things. So you have options of a limited tag, which is just harder to get. So you either wait your time out or you can purchase those tags, um, but they come at a, at a very high cost. And then same type thing, even on the elk. So you can choose the whole state, you know, if you can think of it as counties, the whole state is broken up into what you call, it's called a game management unit, a little bit smaller than like a county. And there's, you know, all these, you know, areas that you can put in for. Some of these you can get a tag for every year. Some of them are more limited. So in the northwest corner of the state, that elk tag is probably the most premium like elk tag that you could look at in the state of Colorado and it takes about 28 years to draw that so people are literally waiting every year they're putting in for a tag and it takes about 28 years uh in the draw before you're obtaining that tag so those are more than like very limited opportunities and again there are a handful of those tags are for sale every year uh either from landowners or through like a, an elk foundation and that kind of stuff to, to draw money for the, the state is that's like a Packer fan waiting to get season tickets at Lambo, right? <laughs> Jeez. So how many people get, let's say, uh, one of those elk tags? Like, well, how many roughly do you think the DNR, or I guess your uh, your uh, state committee would would issue in a year? You know, so some of those units they're going to give a handful, so maybe you know ten to fifteen archery tags maybe five to 10 muzzleloader tags and maybe 10 elk tags total. So, you know, maybe 30, 40 tags a unit for that type of thing. And you're talking about a, a very large county. Um, so, so very limited entry and, and limited opportunity, but they do get some, some giant elk. But with that said, I mean, I'm sitting here in my kitchen. I just got my elk back from the tax service taking up my whole room but <laughs> there's just as quality of animals um pretty much statewide but obviously in an area where there might be 300 tags in one season um those animals get more pressure they get more skittish um so it's more up to you the hunter to, to do more scouting more education 
you know, work a little harder, hike a little further um, to, to get opportunity at some of those animals. So you draw, let's say you draw a tag for something like that. Uh, clearly you're going to take it, right? 28 years or whatever it is. You're like, this is happening. Yep. Cancel all plans. I'm not getting married this summer, right? Whatever it is. So <laughs> what, what kind of work and time commitment would you anticipate let, that would go into that? So you, you, you get this tag, dream come true, two, three decades you wait. Now, do you instantly go, okay, I need two weeks off of whatever I'm doing to adequately hunt and shoot this this animal? Or How does that look? Like, is, is it just something you're like, okay, I can rip across the state next weekend and knock out my tag? Or are you like planning this and scouting this this animal for weeks? You've seen me. I can't sit still for two seconds. I can't <laughs> I know. 28 points. Jeez Louise. <laughs> One time I saved up three points, and that's the most I can do. I get so anxious I got to hunt. But um, I, I actually consult. I help with a lot of people making these decisions. So what we typically would tell somebody, I mean, there's a lot of elk in those areas. So if you just want to go on a quality hunt, I mean, there's guys that draw that tag, and they roll in open day for the first time, and, and they cross their fingers. You know, they close their eyes, throw the dart, and they, they hope they find something. Um, most people that draw that tag are going to take it pretty serious. Obviously they have invested time, uh, money, you know, that kind of thing. They want to make sure they make the most of it. So our cow elk drop their calves, um, in June. So the birthing season of an elk happens in June. Um, typically by like the third week of June, our animals are going to be in what they call their summer pattern. They're basically winter before that, you know, it takes so long for the snow to melt. So typically we'd start scouting in July. So you're first getting in the field in July, starting to kind of get a lay of the land, watching the animals, watching behavior. You really step it up in August. Um, and then the first of the hunting season starts September 2nd. Um, you know, some of the more peak of the rifle tags will be like the third week of September during the breeding season. Um, what I tell everybody, like every hunting seminar I do, what we encourage people to, to basically dedicate to the season is I tell people to figure out the allotted amount of time you can have. This is taken off from work, taken out from family, financially, everything accounted for. Figure out the amount of days that you have. And I always tell people to spend 60% of that allotted time in a scouting situation and only 40% hunting. So whatever your case may be, you want to spend 60% of your time before the season scouting, finding the animals, learning the terrain, understanding the wind, the weather, how the animals are going to behave, where do they bed, what do they drink, what do they eat, how do they act around other elk, um, all the information. So that way, opening day, you have a great idea of just plug and play uh, and putting yourself in that right situation. So if we have some, uh, someone listening now that is more interested in um, this level of hunt, are, are you someone they can contact? Are, are you, do you guide for these hunts or are you more of a, a resource? More of a resource. Okay. So, you know, you could you could jump on like the Colorado Parks and Wildlife website or Colorado Parks and Wildlife YouTube and you can just search Nate Zelensky, search Big Game Hunting Series. And I think we have 60 videos on the state website teaching people how to hunt. And I kind of run that whole program for them. Uh, there's content on various forms of all Ruger firearms website, Bowtech Archery's website. So there's a lot of information. So you can just YouTube stuff or absolutely people can contact me and I can point them in the right direction. So I don't awesome. guide hunts, but I'm always happy to say, hey, yeah, here's your goals. Here's, uh, you know, here's some information for you. Here's a, a source to get your information that you need to help you create that success. So, yeah, we, we're happy to always point people in the right direction. I mean, we, we live fishing, hunting uh, to the full extent. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't hunt much at all, to be honest, but it, it intrigues me hearing that kind of stuff. Where, where we live here in the Midwest, it's just heavy deer. You hear about some bear, you hear about some, uh, you know, waterfall, you know, whatever. 
So that's neat. So anyone listening, you know, hit Nate up if you have any questions. Man, you're just a wealth of information on the hunting side. I mean, probably should jump back into fishing a little bit. No, let's keep talking about hunting. <laughs> Drew's a hunting <laughs> nut too, so he's over here salivating. I know. I'm just like, God, I yeah, need to get out. It, it was you were talking about mountain lions and and moose and elk, and Drew's just like, uh, you know, I, I, I think it's the hunting passion that makes me love the big fish. You know, I think that's why the big fish thing intrigues me so much for the big pike and Lakers and big walleyes. Because I, I think any of us, when we target those bigger fish, it becomes a hunting game. You know, whether you're a hunter or not, yeah. when we're fishing numbers, you know, you go to the spot, you throw it in, you're you're just catching stuff. But when you're looking for that one, you know, that giant lake or that huge pike, I mean, you have to go above and beyond to show up at the spot. You have to know where that fish is going to feed, what he's feeding on, why he's there feeding, or you know, he or she. And you really have to get into the fish's head to understand their next move. You know, we always say that catching numbers of fish, you're on the bite. When you're catching big fish, you're ahead of the bite, anticipating when that bite's going to happen, and that's how you take that next level to be successful on you know on an everyday basis on some of those big fish it becomes that hunting kind of strategy and i think that's why i i love it so much more chasing those big fish just because it becomes a hunting game where you're you know i mean with like today's live stuff and i mean you're you're chasing individual fish you know what i mean and and it's just so neat to see that a lot of musky guys are like that i know for a fact because they're they are looking for that one fish and they don't expect to catch a fish a day you know they're looking for one in specific do you musky fish? Are there musky opportunities in Colorado? No, we have, we have, we have tiger musky. So we don't have any, any true blood muskies, but we do have tigers. Now we can jump over to Nebraska um, and hit a few musky. Uh, but, you know, for all my, my time spent in the Midwest, I've done a lot of musky fishing. Uh, but here in Colorado, we're, we're pike and we're tigers. We do get some really big tiger musky. Um, but, but, again, it becomes very much the, the game of musky fishing where it's a lot of dedication for, for a few takes. <laughs> So you have you have nine year old twins, so when they go fishing, where do you what do you take them for? I mean, they got to have some some fishing knowledge and memories that can't be touched by some twenty year olds in the Midwest hearing what you have. So when your kids say, "Dad, I want to go chase some fish," knowing that maybe panfish isn't as prevalent, like here you can go down the street, I can put my kids on some bluegills, maybe some small largemouth, but for your kids, what do you where are you doing? Where are you taking them? I mean, that's it. So they fell in love with tip-up fishing about two years ago. Um, and it seems like that's, I mean, that, that's, that's their primary source of what they want to do. Um, I have a pretty epic smallmouth bite um, that, that's phenomenal in the front range. So they do a lot of smallmouth fishing if our ice allows it. Um, the, the smallmouth fit on deep water structure around current. So of all of Colorado, that's probably some of our worst ice. So on winters like we're having right now, we're above and beyond on cold temps snow so i have amazing ice so the bass fishing for the kids right now is awesome um and, and it's fun those bass sit on deep water structure i always say they're sitting there pouting um i mean <laughs> you pull up to like a, a 30 35 foot hump and you'll drop the vex in right and you'll drop your jig or drop like a live fathead and as that bait's going down the bait will be 10 feet off water and you'll see these bass coming up off the bottom they just sit there all day just grumpy that it's winter um and they don't move ever so it's fun because you can drill a hole if you drop your bait and you don't see a fish activate move spot um so it's very conducive to the kids because they can sit there and have a 30 to 50 fish day um on good smallmouth and it's a ball for them but like i said at the end of the day tip-ups is their thing i mean they're nine years old they get along great we'll go out there and we're allowed two two tip-ups per angler as long as you have uh, an endorsement on your life called the second rod stamp so the kids have those so you know the, the three of us will go out we'll have six tip-ups 
And, you know, they get to sit there, they get to, you know, goof around, horse around. And then when the flag goes up, it is game on. And it's so great because they have like a little team system set up between the two of them. So, you know, they'll pick their tip ups, you know, and, and, if, and if one kid is in charge of setting the hook and, and grabbing the line, the other kid will sit there with like a bogo grip uh, or get ready to land the fish out of the hole. I won't help them or make it do it all themselves. So they have this like team set up to help each other when they hook these big pike, um, and it's neat. So I think they, they love the visual of watching a flag fly. They they love the idea that they're not have to be so dedicated. And I will say my kids are probably more dedicated to it than about anybody I know, but they love it. They can sit there and you know, we, we eat peanuts, we play games and just, you know, hand over hand on the, on the tip ups for some real big fish. So, so they love it. And we joke about that because I had a buddy join us the other day and they, they caught a big Laker and it was like a 38 inch fish. And, you know, they took like one picture and they threw it back. And I was like, how cool was that? And like, that was nice. They're like, it wasn't that big, you know, and, and huh. they're nine years old. And I think they've been on 18 big game kills as far as animals. They've caught 40 inch pike. They've caught 10 pound rainbows. They've caught giant Lakers. Um, I mean, they've seen it all. So, so it's pretty crazy. I don't want to say they're spoiled, but what, what their average experience is on the water is a little different than a lot of other people. Very cool. Um, Nate, quick question for you about might be slightly related, related to hunting. So last <laughs> time I flew into Denver, I looked down and all I could see were, I believe, prairie dog mounds, correct? Yep. Can you hunt those things? Because there can. seems like there's a lot yeah. of them. There, there's a lot of prairie dogs, absolutely. Now, there, there's a lot of regulations on public versus private, and the yep. regulations are very different on public versus private. Um, but, yes, they are, they are a nuisance. Um, so the ideal situation is to, to utilize some of the private availability, uh, just because there's a lot more open regulations to do yeah. that. Um, and there's not a rancher, farmer, alive that that wants them simply for the fact that they they ruin any sort of crop growth and then any sort of livestock will step in there and break their legs so they are a, a nuisance species no matter what the property is designed for um so absolutely 100 percent every you know landowner in the state is welcome you to come out uh and do some hunting for prairie dogs so there's a lot of availability for I, that. I was completely blown away at how many prairie dog mounds i saw it, i mean as far yeah. as you could see just Hundreds of thousands, I'm sure. Oh, there's tons of them. Everywhere. For sure. So talking about, we, we talked Colorado. Dude, you're lucky. Beautiful state. Uh, lots lots to offer, obviously. It sounds kind of untapped to some capacity. Now, you mentioned Utah. You're back and forth to Utah doing your ice addiction tournament. Anyone that is in the area, for one, if you're listening, I mean, you probably know about ice addictions, but if you don't, you should definitely check it out. you got it going on. Seems like a a very respectful tournament party on ice, right? Just a lot of things happening. But on the Utah side of things, what kind of ice fishing and I guess fishing experience exists there? It, it's insane. I would say, honestly, I, I'm very jealous of the state um, simply for the fact that it is far less tapped um, than Colorado even is. So, you know, Colorado, we have all the species. Um, and great fishing of all of it. We do have a lot of anglers in Colorado. Utah has a lot of the same species, the same opportunities, um, and I would say even less anglers targeting them. Um, they're lacking a little bit of the bass side of things. Uh, still have some tremendous bass fishing, but I would say that, that that's the only 
part of the state that I'd say Colorado has a little upper hand on. But as far as your trout, your lake trout, your salmon, walleye, um, crappie, tiger muskie, uh, it is unbelievable the, the mm. opportunities that Utah has. They don't quite get the elevation that we get. So I would say that their ice season is starting middle of October. And for the most part, I would say mid to late April, they're kind of starting to wrap up some of their things. But unbelievable opportunity. Again, like strawberry is probably the kokanee salmon-like capital of the United States as far as those landlocked kokanee. Um, so it's tremendous, huge rainbows, huge browns, huge cut bows. Um, and then the opportunity on Flaming Gorge for lake trout, like their lake trout make mine look small. Um, I mean, they've got some lakers on the gorge that are just unbelievable. Um, so some giant, giant fish on the gorge. Um, yeah, cool, cool opportunity and some great fishing. And I have to say that they're probably one of the most welcoming states that we fish in. Um, obviously, I go there as an event host. So I work side by side with the DWR, which is the Division of Wildlife mm-hmm. Resources there at the DNR agency. But they really strive to, to get new anglers into the state. You know, very affordable licensing, you know, one, two, three, four day type stuff um, and great resources to learn the waters, where to go, what the species are, the regulations, um, very user friendly state to visit and some unbelievable fishing. And we go to this place in Bernal next weekend called Steinecker. Um, it's a new reservoir. So the reservoir has been around forever. But they killed it off to get rid of some rough fish species uh, about five, six years ago, and they've rebuilt it. Uh, so the biologist there, her name's Natalie. She actually fished with Dave Gins a few years ago. Um, but she just rebuilt this fishery, heavy focus on bluegills, on crappies. But it's got rainbows, browns. And I'll be there this weekend for this event, and it's our highest catch um, of anywhere possible. So our event is four hours long. And I'll probably weigh between 350 and 450 at this event this coming weekend. It is like, it is insane, the, the quality of fishing uh, in some of these bodies of water in Utah. Yeah, we have, uh, we have a fellow uh, team, of the, team member, Kent Sorensen, out there. I think you know Kent. I think he works with the, the yep. Utah DNR. Great guy, has done some work with us at some of the retail stores and educational side of things. We got a pretty good partnership with, with that Utah division here at Clam and Ice Team. Uh, yeah, I mean, I know I, I've I've heard about it. Now, there's got to be less. Maybe I'm wrong. Are there less bodies of water to fish in Utah than Colorado? There's a few less, yes, yeah. but I wouldn't say it's that. I would say it's more undocumented and unpromoted. Sure, got it out. Sure. So there's not as no, much access. I, I think it's the whole southern and... half of the state that you lose a little bit of that. So you're looking at the state. You're looking more at the northern half. Northern half is very similar to Colorado. It's just that southern half you lose some of that water. Yeah. Yeah. Dude, that that's intriguing. That I think I still think that part of our country on the ice fishing side or in general is the most untapped. We have a good rep group we're working with um, on the sales side that's in that region, and I've got a chance to talk with them about some stories, and some things, and some fishing opportunities. And it's just, you know, we take it for granted a little bit here in the Midwest because it, there's so much water around us. I mean, I, I think there at times there's too much. I mean, there's just a lake around every corner where, you know, you look in your region. You know, you got you got well regulated, great bodies of water, great forage, great fishing opportunities, everything kind of going on. Uh, I think the you know you're seeing you're seeing the big push to Idaho, obviously for Cascade. I mean, you're seeing anglers from all over the country flock in to catch them giant perch. So, you know, that Mountain State region, I think, has kind of got it going on. A lot of attention out there, man. You're you're a big reason for that, Nate. You are working tirelessly. Uh, to promote that that resource out there and everything got that's going on, man. If I'm if I'm Colorado or Utah and I'm sitting on any of those state committees, 
Uh, I respect the, the heck out of you for what you're doing. You're really bringing a lot of attention to those great natural resources that those states offer and the fishing. Man, you're just, I mean, Drew and I are like salivating here. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, you're telling us right. about it these opportunities, cool. and we fish all the time. We're I'm a guide, and and I'm listening to you like, yeah, you know, just our biggest walleye last, last year was 16-pounder, yeah. and, you we, know, yeah, we get 40-inch lake trout, and it's like. Before you jumped on uh, the call, we went through some of the top fish from the trap attack, and we're like, yeah, everyone did really good, like some world-class fish, and every fish you just talked about was bigger than any of the winners from the trap attack. Yeah. <laughs> It's crazy. I mean, you throw Wyoming in there too, and they're just untapped. You know what I mean? Colorado, I'd say, you know, you throw all these Western you know, bodies in here, and they're all amazing. You know, Colorado's probably the most publicized. Uh, but yeah, just, just, just incredible fish. And I, and again, it's affordable to come out. You know, I tell people all the time, you know, so many people pack up and head to Canada and they head to, you know, various locations and, you know, try a Western trip. It's cool. There's some, there's some unbelievable opportunity out here for sure. Yeah. And I know, I know Bernie Keefe was, was a guide in what Granby and now he's, he kind of, I always give him a hard time. I told him he sold out. He's now living in Florida to warmer climates, you know, but even in the Granby area, I know we do a partnership with an event up there. Great lake trout fishing, a lot going on. I think it's, I believe it's different elevation, correct? Yeah, so that Grand Bay area, that's about 7,500 feet. So our final event at Ice Addiction is called Grand Lake. So there's three bodies of water. So Bernie was on Granby, yep. which is like our second or third biggest body of water in the state. Um, but by a canal system, uh, you know, half mile up the road, uh, you know, don't quote me on that, but somewhere close right there is Shadow Mountain. And then above that, by a 100-yard canal is Grand Lake. And that's actually our final event. But same thing, tremendous fishing up there. And that's kind of what you call the middle park area of the state. Um, but but really cool. Big lake trout, got salmon, it's got all the, all the species. They just wrapped up a tournament this weekend, had some great, great events. Um, yeah, that's where we finished up ours on February 18th at Grand Lake up there right in that area. Man, you're a busy man. I know I know we don't want to take up too much more time. I know you're all over the place. We've been chatting with you for almost an hour here, uh, and we could talk all the time, but I know you're probably staring at that elk sitting in your living room there, and you're probably getting ready to head out of town here again, like you said, to Utah. Um, any any parting advice, any parting words from Nate that uh, you want our listeners to, to grab? You know, I'll tell you, I, I think more than anything is I we're at a, such a, an awesome time of the sport uh, of fishing and hunting and everything else out there. So only thing that I tell people, obviously, I'm the public and public land fair chase kind of dude. Um, I think everybody wants to go on the guide trip. Everybody says that there's an excuse for not like achieving the animals or the fish that like they see. They see it online and they're like, oh, I wish I could have that. Then they, they think it's not achievable. Um, I think with the education, I mean, look at the videos that Clams produce and the podcast. I mean, just the, the YouTube, the sources that are out there. I don't think there's ever been a time to where anybody with any skill level can't go out and, and literally have some unbelievable outdoor opportunities. So check things out, search, find the resource, find the education, um, get out there and have some, some awesome opportunities. There's so much cool stuff happening right now. And I mean, I live it. I don't, I don't let anything go to waste. I am, you know, 80 hours a week chasing everything, but uh, there's just so much opportunity. You have to do it. No, man, spot on, man. I can't thank awesome. you enough, Nate. You're, you're always a joy to chat with. Drew and I were talking, and I'm like, we got to get Nate on this. Yep, and, and, yep. and I knew Drew would love it. Like, I know you and him haven't spent a ton of time together, but Drew's a hardcore hunter, and I'm like, we're going to tap into some of these hunting. I know we're going to push a few <laughs> buttons to get Nate excited. Um, so I appreciate you jumping outside the box, but I know this is an ice yeah, team totally. fishing podcast, but our listeners want it all. So, 
Thank you so much, man. Good luck in Utah. Travel safe. Anyone else, like I said, listening, follow the ice addictions. Follow Nate on social media. Wealth of knowledge. Sounds like he's got a repertoire of hunting videos out there you can go look at and, and learn from. So, But you nailed it on your parting words. Take the advantage of the information at our fingertips, right? Whether it's fishing, hunting, anything. Um, excuses are excuses, right? I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna preach, but it is the truth. Get out there, get after it, have some fun, learn from each other, and uh, make the most of those outdoor experiences. So there's so much opportunity. Take advantage. All right, brother. Well, thank you so much, Nate. Man, we'll okay, catch thanks, you soon, Nate. and uh, we'll be following with you on uh, ice addictions as well, dude. Awesome. Thank you, guys. Appreciate yeah, it. Have a good thank day. Thank you. You bet. Bye, bye. Dude, that guy is awesome. Wow. Like. I mean, like, I feel like a, a cooler person just talking to him, <laughs> like just the, the opportunities, the fish he has, like, like if you don't, if you're listening to this podcast and I hope you do. And I think that might be one angle that we tease people on. Like, I don't think enough people think, and they kind of hit it. Like you and me even like, Oh, let's go to Lake of the Woods, Red Lake. Right. We just think like, you know, we got this, you know, a few day excursion and he's like, people do, they pack up everything and they go to, they go to Lake of the Woods for a week. Not digging lake. I'm not knocking Lake of the Woods, right? But he's like, people just don't think. Well, you know, you can fly into Denver for pretty inexpensive. You probably could fly into Denver for almost what it would cost. How long does it take to drive there from the Twin Cities? Like fourteen hours. Yeah, I think fourteen. Yeah, my mom used to go to Boulder every year with my sister, and and they would get there within a day, a day drive. So that's something I think people are going to want to investigate more with the push of people going to Idaho to cascade, to catch a yeah. perch, no knock on those perch. They're giant teeter pigs. Right. But I sit there to myself, my epiphany in this conversation with Nate was, I'll tell you what, if I have the resource to do a, a let's say a cascade perch trip, I may rethink that. And I may call my buddy, Mr. Zelensky and say, Hey, you know what? I'm coming out to Denver. What are we chasing? I want to catch a lake trout in five feet of water that could be 30 pounds mm-hmm. or these giant uh, cut bows he's talking about and, and different salmon and trout bows. species and, and the walleye fishing. So if yeah. there's any takeaway from this, if you're a diehard angler, maybe that puts Colorado on your bucket list. It did, it did for me. Yeah, I, I guess I didn't realize they had that many opportunities for great big fish. Maybe yeah. I just haven't done my research enough, but yeah. that's pretty impressive. I mean, I guess – like we were just talking earlier today, different subject, but sometimes we get tunnel vision on our, our surroundings, right? Yeah. And, you know, Minnesota, it is kind of the heart of the ice belt and we think it's the best and biggest and all this and that. But I mean, heck, Nate just changed my mind on some things. Yeah. It's like when I talk to Hottie every time. Oh my you God. You know, he, you, again, he's over in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and he just catches mega fish, and, and that's his second nature. And then he comes out here, let's say, for a photo shoot, whether we have him out for blackfish or whatever, and he goes and he catches a couple four-pound smallmouth and a five-pound smallmouth. He doesn't even want a picture with him. No. He's like, oh, yeah, just, you know, we, I caught some decent ones, and then we roll up. We're like, dude, that's a five-pounder. He's like, oh, you think? Yeah, I suppose. Yeah, he's not bad. You know, and you put it in perspective. So Just different. Awesome having Nate on here. Uh, hopefully everyone that listened enjoyed this. I, I did. I mean, I, I've enjoyed all the podcasts we've done so far, but yep. I, I probably sat on the tip of my seat more on this one than I have on any of them just because I was just kind of enthralled and lost in what he was saying and, and how cool it was and the experiences that exist that, you know, I'm going to go home and, and put that on my bucket list to try to find a way to get out there and do some fishing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Seems like a cool place. So, well, awesome. Thanks for tuning in. This is another episode of the Ice Team Podcast with Nate Zielinski. 
Obviously, you got Drew and Matt here. Thanks so much for yep. tuning in. Durham's out there doing some more podcasts as well. Continue to follow along. We got more coming. But over and out from us at this point, get out there, chase some fish. The ice is good here in the ice Twin Cities good. and across Minnesota and the Midwest. Get out there, chase it. We still have a lot of weeks of ice fishing. Absolutely. Be safe, good luck, and bend some rods. Mm-hmm.